Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. Open your Bibles to John, the fourth chapter, verse 24. John 4, 24, we're to begin there. And I'm, I'm sharing a message this morning that is called Returning to Your First Love in Worship. You know, we come to church a lot of times, you know, where, especially when we have visitors and stuff, or we come to church, even as Christians that have been here a while, we're wondering, you know, why, why we do some of the things we do, why there's people. I remember the first time I went to church, uh, my wife invited me to her church, and it was a church like this, non-denominational, and I, I was born and raised in a very denominational, structured environment where nobody raised their hands. Anybody ever gone to church where nobody raised their hands? And it just freaked me out for the first time I seen that. And, of course, you know, after a while you get used to, that. You get used to these excessive uh, believers. I'm just kidding. But, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, after a while, you know, under peer pressure, you, know, you, you think you have to, you know, try to do something to show your spirituality so your hands would go like this, you know, you lift them up just a little bit, you know. And I, I remember the first time I lifted my hands, felt like two elephants. One elephant was on each arm holding me down. It was, it was you know, it was uncomfortable. So sometimes we just under, don't under, quite understand why we do the things we do. And so I wanted to go to the Word of God and show you why we worship, uh, the benefits of worship, and how it will bless your life. John 4, 24, we're going to begin there because we, we want to understand who, who God is, first of all. It says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Message Bible says this way, those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The Amplified says it this way, a time will come, Jesus was speaking to this woman of Samaria. It says, a time will come, however, indeed it is already here, <coughs> when the true worshipers, genuine worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I love the word Amplified, it says reality. For the Father is seeking such, as, uh, such people as these, uh, as these as his worshipers. Verse 24, God is a spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit <coughs> and in truth. Amen. Now, the word worship there in the Greek is an interesting word. It means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. It's exactly what the, like a dog licking his master's hand. It means to fawn or to crouch, to prostrate oneself in homage, to reverence, and to adore, or to express your adoration. I know a lot of times, you know, if some of you are raised, maybe, uh, well, we, we had this, there, there, and some of the Lutheran churches were raised, and they would have, and they did in Catholic churches, they would have a, um, a uh, what do you call it, a kneeler that would come down, you could fold it down so that you could kneel. And I know sometimes, you know, we think about these things, and you think, well, that's religious. No, I tell you, it's, it's really an express. Even though they, some of them might have been doing this out of religion, some of what we're doing as an expression of their reverence for God. And if we're not careful, even as, you know, full gospel people or non-denominational people, that we, uh, you know, we throw everything out of maybe the good things that were good in those churches that we were raised in. Amen? And one of them is, was, was that because... I always think about the, um, the uh, Muslims. They, they uh, get their little carpet out, and they'll get down, and they will pray five times a day. And they're praying to the one, uh, they're praying to the one who is not the true and living God. I mean, as far, can I have an amen? Because yeah. we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, they have more reverence for their God 
at times than we do. Because rarely we do kneel before the Lord. But the Bible says true worship is, is, is crouching, it's is kneeling down and worshiping. And you go, well, that's what the Muslims do. Well, where do you think they got it from? I said, where do you think they got that from? They didn't get that, make that up for themselves. Satan is the perverter of that which is true. So if we have that which is true, we should take the lead in the reverential fear and worship of God. Can I have an amen? So that's what he's talking about. Now, first of all, I want you to know, the Bible says God is a spirit. And uh, you may not be aware of this, but you are a three-dimensional creature. Uh, Three-dimension. You are a spirit being. That's what it means in Genesis where it says you're made in the image and likeness of God. You're a spirit being. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you have an earth suit or this natural body that we will, all of us, unless the rapture takes place, we will give it up. It'll go back into the ground, and we will ascend to be with the Lord. And everyone said, Hallelujah. Amen. And so, because we're made in the likeness of, or image of God, uh, 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 in, within our spiritual DNA, DNA is something called worship. Worship is in our spiritual DNA. Whether people worship demons, angels, uh, the stars, the moon, the sun, uh, or, the, or, or their creator, inside of us, inside of our spiritual DNA, is something called worship. We are compelled to worship. We have to worship something because put God put that within us. When Israel went into captivity under Pharaoh, we know that they, they, they found themselves in captivity because of their transgressions. And while they were in Egypt, they were surrounded by false gods. And uh, when God sent Moses in to Egypt to deliver uh, Israel, he specifically targeted the gods or those false gods that they worshipped. That's, that's what the ten plagues signified. That was judgment upon all their gods. Because God wanted both Egypt and Israel to know that there is only one true and living God. And his name is the great I am. As Vicky said this morning at prayer, he's the great I am. Listen, if you have not been to prayer, if you want something divine and supernatural, you need to come at five to nine and step into the uh, youth center. I'm telling you, prayer is phenomenal. And uh, Pastor Vicky. A legion prayer, and um, it is, it's absolutely supernatural. And, and every Sunday is supernatural. She usually never, I mean, she usually never knows that I'm preaching. I mean, she talked about the I am this morning, and, and that's who God is. God said, he said, you tell, God told Moses, you tell the Israel, you tell Egypt, you tell the leader of Egypt that I am sent you. I am everything that you need. I said, I am everything you need. That's what God was saying. Everything in your life is found in your relationship with God. Hallelujah. So Moses leads three and a half, no, three and a half million people out of Egypt and headed towards this place called the promised land, which today we know as Israel. However, just 10 days into their journey, listen, just 10 days into their journey, they find themselves, and this is important, they find themselves without a shepherd. And uh, why? Because the shepherd Moses ascended up to Mount Sinai. Uh, he enters the glory cloud of God and he's up there for 40 days I, can you imagine what that must have been like for 40 days in the presence of God? In fact, the Bible says when he came down, his, his, his hair was so white and glowing that he had to put a veil over his face for Israel to look at him. Amen. I said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. See, he didn't have to dye his hair. God did it for him. <laughs> anyway, the glory of God came on him. So he comes down. Guess what? The, or while he's up there, guess what they're doing? They demand Aaron to make them a God of gold, a golden calf to worship, meaning what? Again, 
under that environment, 430 years under, surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by false gods, they demanded that they have a gold calf to worship. The Psalms 106 says they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a molten image. Thus, watch this, they exchanged him. That's God who was their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They traded their honor for the image of a calf. Now, not to throw things off here, but the moment I read that, I immediately thought of Esau. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. He traded the spiritual destiny that God had called him to for a temporal, uh, a, a temporal satisfaction. Okay, that, that's what this means here. They worship, they wanted to worship the calf because they thought uh, by worshiping the calf, their, you know, their, their luck would change, their needs would be met. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, wonders and miracles in the land of Ham, dreadful and awesome things at the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, and he would have, the Bible says, had not Moses, his chosen one, stepped into breach before him to turn away his threatening wrath. Isn't that amazing? They forgot. Can you imagine 10 days later of such supernatural signs and wonders that have never, ever been manifested since then? 10 days later, they forget about it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What, but, but guess what? Be careful. Because we, we preach a message. You leave here and you forget most of it by the time you get to your car. See, nothing's changed as far as the human behavior. Isaiah, he prophesied and reveals the spiritual condition of Israel in his days. And here's what he says. These people come, this is God speaking. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That reminded me again of the church at Ephesus. They were doing a lot of external things that they thought were good, and they were, but they had what they do? They had left their first love. They, they, had, they had moved away from this intimate relationship that God desired to have for them. Their love for, worship of, and allegiance to God was not to be found. And some, <coughs> 700 years later, guess what? The same apathy, spiritual apathy, was found in their offspring. For Jesus said in Matthew 15, and actually he's coding Isaiah, he says, these people draw to me with their mouth, this is Matthew 15, 8, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, we know, I can give you many examples. I'm only going to give you a couple here this morning as far as Old Testament believers that worship God. Well, I mean, all of the ones that God used worshiped him, but Abraham was a worshiper of God. I wanted to use him because of, of what happened in his life. Uh, God instructed Abraham to offer up his son. You know this story? Oh, first of all, let me say this. Uh, his spiritual encounter with God, remember that? In Genesis 12, God came to him and said, I'm going to make you the father of, of a multitude. And the Bible says Abraham believed God, and therefore Abraham set out to obey God and go where God called him to go. And the Bible says at the very next thing that after God has spoke to him about that, the very next thing the Bible says in Genesis 12, that he built an altar to the Lord. And the Bible says, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Listen, an altar signifies a place of surrender, self-denial, self-sacrifice, the place of worship and expressing one's allegiance to God. And then years later, we know after Isaac is born, years later, God comes to him and God says to Isaac, uh, to Abraham, I want you to offer Isaac on the altar of sacrifice. And for years, when I was a young Christian, I couldn't understand why he did that. Because see, uh, again, uh, for God to work in the earth, he has to have someone that has faith. God can't just come down and do anything he wants to. He's got to work through man. He's got to go through the legal uh, system. And so he found a man called Abraham. He gave Abraham his son. And then he tells Abraham, I want you to take your only son and sacrifice him. 
because God knew that if he could find one man that would make that kind of commitment, then he would make a commitment to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. Come on, give God a shout of praise for that. That is awesome, isn't it, what he did? I love it. The Bible says that Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 5, Abraham said to his servants, and this, this is what comes out of his mouth just before he's going to make this, this, um, this commitment uh, to offer his son. Abraham said to his servants, settle down and stay here with the donkey, and I and the young man will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now that worship, again, is very familiar with the uh, Greek. This is the Hebrew. It means to reflex. It actually means to, um, it means to, to, to digress. Yeah, remember, it was John who said, the Baptist, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. So that's what that means, to reflect, to, to, to lower yourself, submit yourself under God. It means to reflect in homage to royalty or God, to bow down, to crouch, humble, humbly beseech, to make ob obeisance, and to reverence, okay? So he, he, here he is. He says, I and the lad are going to worship, and then we're going to come back to you. And so as he's worshiping, Hebrews tells us what's going on in the mind of Abraham. I mean, how could he commit such an act, such a faith act? How could he do that? Hebrews tells us. While God was testing him, Abraham still trusted in God and his promises, and so he offered up his son Isaac and was ready to slay him on the altar of sacrifice. Yes, to slay even Isaac, whom God had promised to give Abraham a whole nation of descendants. Watch this. He believed that if Isaac died, God would bring him back to life again. And that is just about what happened. As far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was doomed to death, but he came back again alive. And so he could commit, listen to me, listen to me, he could commit this act of obedience because of the preceding years of developing a worshipful relationship with God. He believed. See, they were in covenant together. He said, okay, God, I'm in covenant with you. I'm giving you the best that you're requiring of me, but I'm expecting you to raise that from the dead. See, the re it so reminded me of, of what we give to God. When we give our time and our tithes and our talents to God, and we lay them at the altar, and we make the sacrifices necessary to benefit the spiritual advancement of others in the church, you lay that down and a part of you dies. But God says, yes, it may die, but I'm going to raise it from the dead. Hallelujah. And that Bible calls that a seed. And God, you may be planting, or you may be planting a seed, but God says, I'm going to harvest for you. I'm going to reap for you a great harvest. Let's give God praise for that. It's true. So, amen. God, God is, I mean, he, he remembers everything that you do uh, for him uh, and records it and blesses you accordingly. Now, let me just say this to you as far as worship. God is not insecure. He's not insecure, meaning that he, I mean, he just can't live without your worship. He's not insecure. However, he knows the power of idolatry and how the devil uses, listen, the temporal in attempt to move us away from the eternal. The distractions of the age, that's what we're living in. He uses the, he, he uses, um, uh, I mean, yeah, we are surrounded by the gods of Egypt today. Self-gratification, worldly pleasure, promiscuity, greed, entertainment, materialism, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are all, all the things, that does, these are the gods of this world that Satan tries us to take a hold of and embrace and moves us away from our relationship with God. First Corinthians 10, very interesting. 
It says this. Look at the Message Bible. Uh, it's so amazing how he ties this together with the story of Israel. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the Red Sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they went. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to uh, mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times. Brother Copeland said many, many years ago, it really touched my life, it changed my life. Brother Copeland said years ago, he said, don't run from God because of sin, run to him. Run to him. He knows how weak you are. He knows. He, if you will run to him, he will grace you with the strength to, to overcome anything that you're facing in life. Travis, is he here today? There's Travis. Travis uh, shared a little bit about importance of church membership. And I hope every one of you get involved in, that, uh, uh, in the church membership class uh, that haven't been. But Travis came to church here, and he was, he was I didn't know him. We didn't, Vic and I didn't know him. He was addicted to meth. And his life was a meth, I mean a mess. And, uh, and, he, and he came to church through Randy. Randy came down basement. We actually had a membership class dinner that day. That's what we were doing down there. And uh, how many years ago was that, Travis? Do you remember? Eight years ago. And he came walking down through the hallway in the basement, lower level, and, and uh, we were eating, and Randy taps us on the shoulder and says, Pastor, could you come out here? I have a friend of mine that's here. Listen, you get people to church, God will set them free. And he said, I have a friend here, he's addicted to meth, and he, he's, uh, he's, in fact, you were high that day, I believe. And so would you come and pray with him? So Pastor Vicky and I walked up. We didn't pray. We didn't uh, scream and yell and grunt. And all we did is say, God, we're asking you to set this man free uh, from meth addiction in Jesus' name. And bam! I said, <laughs> how can you express it in English? <laughs> wow! That was broken over his life that very moment. He's never touched meth since. Come on, let's give God praise for that. Bam, it was broken. Broken. Supernatural. He says, they were defeated during the hard times in the desert and God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. Same thing could happen to us. We must, this is New Testament. We, we must, the Bible says, be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. We must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent, for discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes, because we will if we're not walking with God closely. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and they are just as capable of messing up we are just as capable of messing up as they were. So don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. So forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. Is that awesome or what? Hey, turn, if you would, to Matthew 8. I have three quick stories for you on the power of worship. Now, remember, the wor worshiping God is it's to, it's to express that worship through Spirit, soul, and body. 
And you can see, and I'll show you the examples here. In Matthew, the uh, eighth chapter, uh, verse one, it says this. When Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper, and what did, what did he do? Worship. He worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately, hallelujah, his leprosy was cleansed. Look at what released the power of God. It was worship. Worship released the power of God. He said, God, he said, I'm not sure if I'm not sure what God's will is, but sir, if you're willing, I'll take it. If you're willing to heal me, God says, Jesus said, I will. And the Bible says that the power of God set him free. Amen. In Matthew 9, verse 18, the Bible says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain man, and he worshiped him, saying, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now, this was a little bit different situation. Why? Because this man, his name is Jairus. And Jairus was a Jewish leader in the synagogue. And for a Jewish leader to set himself and expose himself to that kind of, um, what's the, lack of allegiance, uh, you know, he, he, was elite. he was telling all the Jews around him that he was going to put his faith in this one called the Messiah. And so what did he do? Now think about this. He's a religious Jewish leader, really could have lost his position in Judaism, and he gets down and he worships God, Jesus, like this and said, Lord, my daughter probably is already dead, but if you will come and lay your hands on her, she shall live. Is that powerful or what? He worshiped Jesus. And look what it says. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, give place for the maid. Uh, give, give place for the maid is not dead, she sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose and the fame hereof went abroad unto all the land. And notice again what released the supernatural power of God was worship. It was worship. How many believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Uh, he is. And I tell you, you know, I've had people through the years come to me and say, said, you know, Pastor, it really bothers me when you ask me to raise my hands because I just don't feel like it. Why not do what the Bible says? You don't have to do what I say, but do what the Bible says. And then by, by, by releasing your childlike faith, it, listen to me, it has nothing to do with feel. Now, if you're, these guys were in crisis situations, and there's only one who could help. His name is Jesus. You got a daughter that's at home right now. She's on her deathbed and she's about to die. Would you be willing to do whatever it takes to get her well? And he didn't know anything else. All he heard, I'm talking about Jairus, all he heard was that there was a man, his, they called him Jesus, who had raised people from the dead, healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the halt. Everybody, I mean, there was nothing that... Uh, nothing that uh, his power wouldn't fix. And so he comes, and through worship, he releases the power of God for his daughter. And the Bible says his daughter was raised up and made well. Is that awesome or what? One more story, Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, this is, a, again, an awesome story of the example of worship. Here, here it is. It says, Then Jesus went thence, verse 21, departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, 
thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. The living Bible says my daughter has a demon within her and it torments her constantly. See, that demon was tormenting Travis constantly. Constantly. Yeah. When I was a little boy, and I, 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 you know, I, I had a demon spirit inside of me. I could not, and I was tormented every stinking day of my life until I met my bride. Every day until I met her, she brought me to church where I got saved. But every day I was tormented by a demon spirit. And it is such a horrific thing because there's no value to life. I remember when I was a little boy, I'd climb up on my silo, and I'd hang. They had, a, they had a, um, what, a ring. Once you get to the top, there's a ring that you go through and kind of so you can lean back so you don't lose your balance. I would hang from that with one hand and just hang there, wanting so desperately to let go. There's nothing. There's nothing good about being tormented by the devil whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, sexual bondage, whatever it is, I, I promise you, if you'll open your heart to Jesus, he will set you free. He doesn't want you to be a freak. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to be suffering, tormented. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free. Let's go on. The Bible says, he answered her not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered, and he said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, at that very moment he said that, she could have lost hope. Got up off of her knees and walked away saying, obviously God heals some, but not, he obviously can't help me. But she didn't. She remained in that place of faith. Then she came, the Bible says, and she worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. So here she bows down. She crouches down before him. Submits her heart, her heart everything she was, to him at that moment. And, she's, and, and then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. Look at verse 26. And he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, simply, if you'll study the Bible, you'll find out that a dog was a, a Gentile. Uh, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And he said, it is not meek to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. Again, at that very moment, she could have stood up and said, you know where you can go. I'm out of here. But she didn't say that. She remained in that spirit of worship and reverence for God. I mean, she could have gotten offended. I mean, she could have just said this. I mean, look, at, I bowed before you and look what you tell me. But she didn't. She stayed there in a place of brokenness before the Lord. And look at this. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She was telling him, I'm acknowledging that you're the master. And I believe that if you just give me a crumb of the power that's manifesting in your life, it'll be enough to deliver my daughter. And the Bible says, Jesus responded to her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And I think that's so powerful. He says, be it unto you according to what you will, not what I will. Of course he willed that she be delivered. Of course he willed that she be free. <laughs> but he let her know, because of your faith, what you've willed will come to pass. 
And I want to close this morning. I want the musicians to come forward for a moment. We'll close with this. But I want to, I want to do something today, just for a few moments. I, wa I, want to, I want you to put into action what you, what you heard today and what you believe today. And that is, I give you three examples right there of, we're, uh, of what happens when you worship God as God has called you to worship him. It releases the power of God. And I cried out to God this morning. I said, God, in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, I'll take God and I'll, I'll, I'll put the word back into his, into his mind, though he never forgets it, but we do. And I said, Lord, you said in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, I believe it's the last verse, he says that, that Jesus went with them, the disciples, and confirmed his word with signs following. And there's no reason that if, I mean, God has proven through the years, uh, many of you here, your lives have been so supernaturally changed by the power of God and only by the power of God. Uh, when Travis came that day, in the natural, there was no hope for him. In the natural, he was at the end of, of his life. He, he even lost a friend to overdose of, of, of the same uh, drug that he was on. And there was no, it no way in the natural for anything to change in his life until he opened up to the Lord and God honored his heart, honored his faith and set him free. And I know maybe many of you know people that, you know, uh, uh, my daddy was a horrible, severe alcoholic. And I just wish we could have been introduced to this awesome God when he was younger in his life. Because see, life would have been different. Now it's over. You know, he's in heaven today. Vicky and I led him to the Lord and, and my mom. And so praise God for that. But I'm just saying, we don't have to repeat the generational curses of our families. We don't have to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, you say, well, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Well, Jesus died on the cross to put you on the right side of the tracks. Hallelujah. And that, of course, is in his kingdom. But would you stand this morning? I want to pray with you. Vicki, I saw something. I, I, thank you. I saw something very interesting. Um, that you wrote in my Bible. And uh, I, I didn't know this, but, and uh, it was there until I looked. And it's found in the book of uh, Zechariah. And uh, Zechariah, he, he uh, prophesied how things would be when Christ returns. So listen to this. Here's what he says. Can you put that up there, Zechariah? He said this. Uh, um, oh, it's, it's in, not Zechariah. Yeah, Zechariah, verse 14, I'm not, chapter, the last chapter, he says this. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, hallelujah, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. And, and the Lord, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. Now watch this. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Now, what is that name? Jesus. Now, look at verse 16. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty. This obviously has to do with the millennium, the thousand-year reign. And uh, uh, to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. But watch this. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king... The Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. No worship, 
no rain. That was just that. I mean, God said, it is what it is. If you come to Jerusalem and honor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will bless you with rain. I will bless your life. No worship, no rain. With worship, a lot of rain. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.